Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 127. Let's go behind the scenes. Hi, I'm Neil. This is going to be a different kind of episode. We're actually going to talk about Above Avalon. Last week marked the third anniversary of launching Above Avalon subscriptions. And over the years, I get a lot of questions about Above Avalon, about the business model, how things work, what are the easy parts, what are the difficult parts, what are the parts that stand out to me, what are my largest accomplishments, what are the challenges. And what I want to do in today's episode is talk about Above Avalon, talk a little bit about the business model behind paid subscriptions, and we're going to expand the discussion to talk about the Apple news and rumor industry. Running above Avalon has given me the front row seat of seeing changes occur in terms of aggregators, news organizations, and then a long list of sites dedicated to analysis and research. And I'm seeing some changes that's going on. So I want to combine everything. I think it's going to make a very good episode. And hopefully, I answer some of the questions that you may have about Above Avalon. Now, I did talk about Above Avalon probably close to a year and a half ago. It was in episode 82, Above Avalon 101. That could serve as a good framework or maybe a base for this discussion. In today's episode, I want to talk a little bit more specifically about paid subscriptions, the business model behind that, and some changes I'm seeing in the broader online publishing world. The best place to begin is to talk about the Above Avalon strategy. I'm sure a portion of you are well aware of what I do with Above Avalon, but I will assume that for some new listeners, Above Avalon is still a new concept or a new idea. So I'm going to go in a little bit more detail about what I actually do with Above Avalon. The business model I rely on for Above Avalon is a paid subscription model. Subscribers pay for access to my full analysis and perspective on Apple. And I offer two subscription options, $10 per month or $100 per year. And so the way this works is I publish 10 to 12 topics per week. One of those topics I talk about in a weekly article that's accessible to everyone over at AboveAvalon.com. And I talk about that same topic in this weekly podcast, which is also accessible to everyone. Well, what happens to the other 9 to 11 topics each week? Well, those topics are discussed in a daily email. And that email is available exclusively to subscribers. These emails basically go over everything that I think matters in the world of Apple. While I position the daily email as the cornerstone of an Above Avalon subscription, subscribers also receive other benefits. Subscribers receive the weekly Above Avalon article via email. So that's exclusive to subscribers. I don't have an option where anyone can have these weekly articles sent to them via email. Subscribers also can access the forum. I rely on Slack for the forum. I'm really optimistic about Slack. I love it. I think it's a great service. And there's so much going on in the Above Avalon team in Slack. Talk a little bit more about that shortly. And in addition, subscribers can access the archive. So this is where you can go back and read approximately 600 emails that were previously sent to subscribers. Again, this is three years 
of daily emails. So that's the business model for Above Avalon. Now, some of you may be saying, that seems pretty simple. It is. It's not a complicated business model. And I think that actually helps because I can spend most time writing, recording podcast episodes. I still dabble from time to time with video. A complicated business model, I think, would take all of my attention and efforts away from what I really like doing. At this point, it's worth taking a step back and taking a look at the broader industry for paid subscription sites. Above Avalon is unique because it's a paid subscription site that's focused on analyzing one company. I am unable to name another paid subscription site that has the same objective. Most subscription sites that are out there, they focus on broader topics, maybe a certain genre, an entire industry. They're still very specific topics, don't get me wrong, but they're not just one company. So I think that's one thing that really sets Above Avalon apart from everyone else. And what is becoming an interesting development, the closest comparison to Above Avalon may be these paid subscription sites that are popping up in the sports world, where writers and analysts, they're launching paid sites focused on specific sports teams. The paid subscription model doesn't just work for technology or finance, but you could see it. It's moving into different industries and people are finding success. The idea behind paid subscriptions is not new. The pioneers can be traced back to the financial world. You had publications that would send monthly or quarterly correspondence to paid subscribers via the postal mail. Nowadays, quite a few paid sites send that correspondence, send that analysis via email, or they have an archive available on their website. But the major change that has taken place here is that there has been a diversification in the way we consume news and analysis. You have a number of independent sites. They could be run by one person, maybe a small team of people. They have been able to grab an increasing amount of attention and mindshare from larger, more traditional news publications. And we could even expand that to include all of these multinational research firms, Wall Street firms. In fact, this market dislocation was one of the reasons that led me to leave Wall Street and launch Above Avalon 2014. I started to see the signs of people getting their news and their analysis and their perspective from other sources from names that weren't your traditional news sources. Why is this occurring? What is driving this market dislocation? I think there's a couple of things. I think the harsh economics of online publishing has hurt a lot of people. And when you combine that with new tools that have popped up, we can look at social media as an example. We have ways of accepting online payments, sending a lot of emails in a very short amount of time. All of those tools have made it possible for one-person operations to find their audience. That's the key here. The goal is to find your audience because that means sustainability. If you can find an audience, you can find sustainability. Relying on a paid subscription model does have an impact on what I do on a daily basis. 
paid subscriptions afford me the ability to focus on quality, not quantity, when it comes to readership. And this is especially important in terms of Apple. We can go on and on about how some sites cover Apple in an interesting way. Let's just say headlines are eh, (laughs) their own little animal. You're talking about sensational headlines, analysis that doesn't seem that correct. It seems more or less an effort to grab attention. But with Above Avalon, there is no financial incentive for me to publish sensational articles. The primary byproduct of those kind of articles is a temporary jump in page views. So you may see a spike. It may last for a couple of days, but then it goes right back to normal. From my perspective, that doesn't really do anything for me. Instead, my incentive is aligned with my desire to write articles that inform, enlighten, and provide an alternate view of Apple in the world. That desire ends up producing trust and credibility with readers. Those items are extremely important when it comes to attracting new subscribers. Over the years, I've received different versions of the same question. Why don't I expand my coverage to include companies other than Apple? And my answer is the same. It's been the same over the years. My coverage area is already large. Apple doesn't operate in a vacuum. We can see that by looking back at all of the podcast episodes. There is a need to monitor and analyze Apple's various competitors, all of the industries in which the company plays. You also have industries where Apple is thinking about entering in the future. The difference between Above Avalon and other sites is that all of my analysis is positioned from the perspective of Apple. So if I'm looking at, say, the transportation industry. There's a lot of subsectors there. But what I'm doing is I'm analyzing that industry from the perspective of Apple. How can Apple approach the transportation industry and change it? Or you may have a situation where you look at an industry and you say, wait a second, there may not be an opportunity here for a company like Apple. In my view, having it any other way tends to breed Apple cynicism. And the reason is Apple has unique attributes. So this cynicism will lead to the conclusion that Apple's different way of approaching the world will lead to failure. In fact, I think unwarranted cynicism is one of the main characteristics that lead to faulty Apple analysis. One thing that I'm seeing over and over again is that people say Apple can't do something like every other tech company. Meanwhile, Apple quietly and gradually works on their own vision of that something, their own version of it. Over time, people slowly and grudgingly admit, yeah, Apple's version of that actually has its appeal. This cycle then repeats itself with something new. 
Well, my approach to that, my response to that, is to put all of my analysis from the perspective of Apple. To understand, to learn how Apple thinks of the world, and accordingly, how does Apple approach that something new that every other company is working on? And looking back over the first three years of above Avalon subscriptions, there have been certain highlights and challenges. One highlight was reaching sustainability. There was a specific subscriber threshold that marked above Avalon sustainability. I reached that in 2015. However, there have been subsequent events over the years that have served as other milestones. For example, in May 2016, I saw the first wave of annual above Avalon subscriptions renew. So that further validated the business model. The second highlight is something that I didn't necessarily expect to happen. An online community has developed around Above Avalon. The Above Avalon subscriber forum in Slack continues to see an increasing amount of interaction and discussion. I find myself checking that more and more in other mediums less and less. Above Avalon subscribers currently reside in 55 countries. They hold a diverse range of backgrounds and occupations. You have various subscribers, everyone from Silicon Valley executives, investors, the largest Apple shareholders, the leading Apple journalists and writers. You then have students. You then have people who are interested in what Apple is doing as a company. You have other people who are interested in Apple products. All of that produces an environment where you have different viewpoints. You have different perspectives. And they all come together in that subscriber forum. Another highlight has been the member meetups. I've had three member meetups, two in San Francisco, one in San Jose. The fourth is actually scheduled for this upcoming WWDC. Each one of those meetups has been so memorable because I've been able to meet subscribers and put faces to what were previously just names in email, on Twitter, in the forum. And the fourth highlight has been the subscriber support. Like most people, over the years, you experience some life changes. So since starting Above Avalon, my wife and I welcome two boys into this world. Each time, the outpouring of well wishes from subscribers has been pretty amazing. And of course, there's been the difficult times. My mother recently passed away. Subscribers were there with condolences. I even received some condolences via postal mail from subscribers. It may seem like a small thing, but I'll never forget it. It really had an impact on me and my family. So with those highlights, there were also other types of challenges with Above Avalon. The first thing has to do with new things. I'm self-taught when it comes to this world of online publishing, podcasting, videography. My background is one of finance. I spent years on Wall Street tracking the markets every day, modeling companies. So recording a podcast was quite a challenge. And I still remember those early weeks trying to find a microphone, figuring out how do you actually edit a podcast episode. 
The thing is, you do have resources in the form of YouTube and Twitter. So if I had a question, I went to one of those to find an answer. In my view, while these things represent a challenge, I think it's a good thing. I think it's always a positive when you step out of your comfort zone and you do something that you've never done before. You do something that maybe you were afraid of doing because you didn't know how to do that. And so, yes, it's been a challenge to learn the world of online publishing and podcasting, but I actually think it basically ended up being a helpful thing. It ended up playing a very key role in how Above Avalon has grown and how Above Avalon has matured over the years. Another challenge that I've faced, and this one's pretty interesting, and I think a lot of people tend to go through this as well. As Above Avalon has grown in terms of readers, listeners, and subscribers, I've become more hesitant to publish on topics when my views on them are still pretty fragile when they're still in the formation stage. Maybe in the beginning, I would put those views together and publish that post. Now I don't really do that. And so this hesitation has resulted in certain articles and podcast episodes taking a very long amount of time to write and produce. And I don't think I'm alone in this. I think a lot of people go through this process where At first, you're not quite sure who's reading your articles. You put down your thoughts, thoughts that you believe in, and you publish. And while that same framework applies today, it's hard not to think of, well, if I publish and say something, you're going to have people seeing it, listening to it. This then leads you to take a step back and you look at your position from a different angle. You're trying to figure out, well, where will people attack my argument or attack my thesis? Before you know it, you didn't publish. You're still working on that original article. Now, in reality, my view on this topic is that you need to publish. There's no such thing as having a perfect article or developing a perfect thesis on something. Instead, whatever you're writing about, come to a position, a position that you think best represents or best explains that topic. Going forward, you then have opportunities to see, well, how is my thesis holding up? This is one reason why I love Apple earnings. Every three months, I get new data so that I could track how my ideas are holding up. Where am I right? Where am I wrong? At this point, we're going to turn to what I think are the requirements for having a paid subscription site that works, that provides sustainability. In terms of the model being replicated, I don't think there's a particular recipe or path for success. Some will make it literally overnight. Others may find success only after a number of years. I'm not one to say, well, here's what I did to get to where I am today, so that's what everyone else has to do. I don't believe in that. Instead, I think it's much more valuable to look at the key requirements that you need to reach success. The actual journey that you take to make it, that's going to be up to you. And I wouldn't listen to anyone else to try to figure out the right path. I came up with three requirements. The first one is a strong voice. 
The recurring theme found in every successful independent site, email, podcast, is that it contains a strong voice. Wishy-washy stances on positions, they don't go far. The strongest voices that are out there, they have an ability to support their opinions with facts. The second requirement needed for a paid subscription site to work, perspective. Above Avalanche subscribers aren't interested in simply reading about news events and topics that matter to Apple. Instead, subscribers want to know my perspective on those news events and topics. When someone has perspective, they have a certain kind of philosophy that transcends any particular topic or news event. The third requirement is to be the best. In my view, being the best entails having a deep understanding of the subject matter at hand. So nearly every example of a successful subscription-based site, the founder or writer is an expert in their coverage area. On the third anniversary of launching Above Avalon subscriptions, I thought there was value in reflecting on the Apple news and rumor mill. Above Avalon has given me a front row seat to this changing industry. A lot of people like to call it the Apple blogosphere. There are three buckets. The first, news and rumor aggregators. Mac rumors, iMore, 9to5Mac, Apple Insider. Those are the most well-known examples of these aggregators. You then have others, Cult of Mac, Mac Daily News, Mac Surfer. They've also been around for some time. The largest sites are characterized by having a team of writers and a business model consisting of various revenue streams. You could be talking ads, sponsors, different forms of memberships, affiliate links. Many of these sites have moved into video, podcasts, email newsletter, and these sites also have a vibrant online community in the form of active message boards and forums. It is that online community that I think plays a big role in these sites reaching sustainability. The second bucket, news publications. So we have the Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Bloomberg, BuzzFeed, The Verge, Recode. You can make this list very long. So you can insert your favorite news publication that you turn to for Apple News. Most of these sites have one or two writers that focus on Apple. However, it is becoming rare to see a news publication that has an Apple exclusive writer. Most of the time, someone who writes about Apple also writes about other topics. It could be other companies or other industries even. Business models do vary in this group, but most are moving towards paid subscriptions. And only a select number of these sites have a vibrant online community. The third group that makes up the Apple news and rumor industry are what I would label curators or sites that are focused on analysis and research. So this is above Avalon. It's sites like Daring Fireball, Simcoe, Sertechery, Mac Stories, Tech Pinion, Six Colors, The Loop, Apple 3.0. You keep going on and on. I would also include Wall Street firms in this group. I would include ventures that only involve podcasts. So there are some very popular tech-focused podcasts. They don't necessarily have a written blog 
attached to it, but still, there could be a, a certain level of influence with those podcasts. YouTubers, industry research firms, VC firms, who even have popular Twitter personalities where their job is to tweet a lot. It's to gain subscribers. It's to gain influence online. All of those entities are included in this category. So there is much diversity in this third group. Now, some write exclusively about Apple. Others may talk about Apple from time to time. You have others who use Apple as a way to analyze broader business and disruption theories. When you look at business models, they really are all over the place. They include everything from ads and sponsors to paid subscriptions, donations. You have some that depend on affiliate links. And then you have other sites and accounts that are basically just marketing. So their whole point is to have things be accessible and to make revenue in other formats or other ways. Online communities do tend to play a major role in those sites. So you have three major groups, each which contain a number of entities, a number of publications. There's a lot of people here. It is a very interesting industry when you're looking at the Apple rumor and news world. While some sites have tried to play in more than one bucket, few have found success. News and rumor sites, they've only made a few inroads in terms of analysis and research. Meanwhile, when you look at analysis sites, they've generally stayed away from entering the tough business of breaking news and scoops. Over the years, there have been a number of major changes in the Apple blogosphere. I came up with five changes. The first, news and rumor aggregators have grown up and gained legitimacy. After years of rocky relations, Apple basically treats these leading Apple news and rumor aggregators like any other news organization. Aggregators have achieved sustainability by broadening their coverage to include pretty much anything that is in some way connected to Apple or the large iOS ecosystem. In addition, it helps that each runs with super lean operating budgets. For these sites, I don't think the stories themselves pay the bills. Instead, it's the repeat visitors that are interested in the comment sections and forums. I don't think it would be a surprise to see that a lot of people visit these sites maybe dozens of times during the day. When it comes to podcasts and video, each publication basically has moved into that space to maintain mindshare in each of the respective news mediums. The second major change, the Apple rumor and scoop industry has dried up and consolidated. Ten years ago, there were a number of news publications that were in a legitimate position to break the next Apple scoop. Some of those scoops are probably control leaks from Apple, but that's another story. Today, there are probably only three, maybe four sites that even publish Apple scoops. The consolidation in Apple scoops has been driven by Apple ramping up the amount of secrecy regarding unannounced projects. In addition, a growing number of these Apple scoops have increasingly come from research firms. They're paying for confidential information coming out of Apple's supply chain. It is this rumor consolidation that I think has driven a relatively high degree of turnover among Apple reporters. The third major change 
ad-supported business models are struggling. It is becoming more difficult to find ad-supported business models on the web. Now, there are likely a few reasons for this change, but I think one of the major reasons is that ad dollars are being funneled away from blogs and into podcasts and videos, in particular podcasts. This explains what appears to be an exodus of resources away from written blogs and into podcasts and video-focused efforts. My suspicion is this won't end well for many, because I think what's going to happen here is the increased competition in the podcast and video space, it's going to push sponsors to those with the largest followings. And in such an environment, it's going to be very difficult for independent ventures, for independent teams to find sustainability by chasing scale. It's going to be incredibly difficult for that one-person shop. The fourth major change, paid news sites are boosting independence. This one is super interesting from Above Avalon's perspective. Most news publications have embraced paid subscriptions as another way of boosting revenue. And while a paid subscription to a multinational news organization may make sense for many readers, I think the value price trade-off becomes very questionable for readers who are interested in specific topics or niches. For example, the average news publication only writes about Apple once a week, if that much. So if you have a paid subscription to that site, but you're interested in Apple analysis, you want more than just one or two articles a week, well, what do you do? I think what ends up happening is that this boost, it gives oxygen to independent sites that can give the time and attention to these niche subjects. And so if you're really interested in Apple analysis, are you going to take out paid subscriptions to all of these various news publications that don't really say a lot about Apple? Or are you going to go to independent sites that focus on Apple? I think the independents win in that comparison. The fifth change is the donation and support route isn't promising. The transition from ad-supported business models to subscription-based models hasn't been easy for many independent sites. Going from a scenario in which all of your content was public to one in which now only a fraction of your content is public can be jarring. And I think a lot of sites have struggled with this. Most have decided to keep their content free and instead give their paid subscribers a marginal amount of exclusive content. In essence, I think these sites are treating subscriptions and memberships like donations. For example, if you really like this site, become a subscriber and support the site financially. I don't think that is sustainable, and I don't think it's attractive in terms of subscription-based models. Instead, these sites will have no choice but to depend on different revenue streams. And most of those revenue streams probably won't include ads or sponsorships. Instead, they're going to have to make money doing something else that may even be outside of their site. It could be writing for other sites. It could be doing other ventures on the side. You can see how that gets pretty tricky. In such a scenario, I don't think paid subscriptions are going to work because all of your work is free. 
As we approach the end of the episode, I think it's important to look at the main takeaway from this subject. It's never been easier to start a paid subscription site. However, this reality has made it harder than ever to get a paid subscription site off the ground. There is no question that barriers to entry have been lowered in many content-focused genres, including blogs, YouTube, and podcasting. However, discovering your audience is becoming more challenging. At the same time, competition is intensifying. It's not realistic to assume the average consumer will subscribe to dozens of paid sites. However, there is no such thing as an average consumer. Instead, every consumer will subscribe to a different portfolio of paid sites. So as an independent, the job is to earn a spot in some of those portfolios. As I enter the fourth year of paid subscriptions, a big thank you goes out to above Avalon subscribers. The past three years have been great, and I'm looking forward to many more. I don't think there has been a better time to examine Apple. That's going to do it for today's episode. For more information on becoming an Above Avalon subscriber, just head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the subscribe page. This past week was quite busy in terms of the discussion analysis found in the daily emails that were sent to subscribers. We talked about everything from smart speaker sales in the first quarter of 2018 to my estimates for the install base and user base regarding all of Apple's major product categories. You can see all of the topics discussed in the daily emails by going to aboveavalon.com and then going to the daily updates page. You could actually go all the way back to the very first email that I published in 2015 and see all the various topics. Last but certainly not least, if you enjoy the Above Avalon podcast, if you can leave a quick review or rating for the podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. You can do so in Apple's podcast app. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I'll talk to you all next week.